This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi there. My name is Olga, and I'm currently based in London. You're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, how do you overcome self-doubt when you're trying to achieve something difficult? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast with myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dane Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzo. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from... We are talking everything from Olga from London's question. How do you overcome self-doubt in the face of something difficult? Dane. Good luck for that one. It's a good question. I'd say Olga is not, um, there's never going to be a unifying and uh, all overcoming way of dealing with self-doubt. I think self-doubt should be something that it's acute. And so the coping mechanisms will be acute as well because the self-doubt will vary based on the situation. So I've got a really easy answer if you want it. Don't say cocaine, Howard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you could say maybe, yeah, that's one way, but don't do that. Never done cocaine, listeners, in case you're interested. Um, So send some in is what Howard's trying to say, I guess. (laughs) No, I'm saying uh, sleep on it. Go to sleep. Go to to fucking sleep. Feeling like, oh, I don't know what the fuck, uh, how to solve... uh, just go to sleep. Next day, I bet you have better perspective on it. Olga, that's my advice. Have, have a good sleep on it. Sleep on it and also understand that your self-doubt comes from a place of uh, concern for what you're doing. Normally, you're doubting yourself because you are afraid of what will happen if you fail. But by uh, doing something, you are already succeeding by the attempt to learn. So, um, well, yeah, just recognise... Olga, we hope... Yeah, Olga, we hope that helped with your self-doubt. And... Um, Suffice to say, on this podcast, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dane? Absolutely, Howard, or shall I say, no doubt. And no question is too big, too small, too dubious, or too virtuous. So if you like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, and you'll never miss an episode. Or you can subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can hear all of the very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show, our guest is a stand-up comedian and writer originally from Atlanta. He has written for and has been seen on Fox, FX, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and Comedy Central, to name a few. His comedy specials, Mad Not Bad and Trying to Outdo the Last Verse at Birth, are available on Amazon Prime right now. And his podcast, Uninhibited, delves into personal lives, ideas, and opinions on almost any and every topic, no matter how sensitive or taboo, and is available wherever you podcast your good podcast. So please join me in welcoming to the show, friend of the podcast and friend of mine, Mr. Faleo Huff. What's up? <laughs> welcome, welcome. The first person you've cheered yourself there. I like the fact you cheered yourself. Yeah, I do it all the time. I actually clap myself on stage uh, when I come up. Yeah, you because know, I'm like, I'm going to let you guys know. And, and that will help with yourself out as well. I think it starts from the inside. If you're able to observe yeah. a way of aggrandizing yourself and uh, demonstrating value to yourself, that's a good start as well, Olga. So, you know, 
Give yourself a round of applause sometimes. Yeah. Philae, how do yeah. you how do you conquer self-doubt? I am um well I'm amazing. So no, I uh, <laughs> <laughs> hard for me to answer that. No, I uh actually you know what's wild? Um what what helped me do it was it's a, a small tiny story. Um well when I was young, um I was I'm the runt of the litter, if you will. Mm. Uh of all my like by the time I was like, you know, of age, I guess, um, all my older siblings, bigger, mm-hmm. taller cousins, everyone's bigger. Uh, so I, I had a lot of self-doubt as, you know, like, oh, they play football, American football, or they play whatever, and they wouldn't let me play because I'm the little. And, uh, so I thought maybe I just wasn't good. And then uh, my mom put me in martial arts uh, as a way to, to teach me some discipline. I was also bad, <laughs> but to teach me some discipline and kind of, um, I guess, give me some self-confidence. Mm. And so I would, I would constantly doubt myself. Like uh, my martial arts teacher would notice, I would doubt like every move I made. I would like, I thought it was me read, you know, thinking twice or three times. He was like, no, that's not you thinking. That's you doubting that you made the right choice. Hmm. Uh, so try to go with that first instinct as long as that first instinct is, as long as your first instincts are constantly yielding positive uh, outcomes, it's okay to go with your first instinct. And so I did that. Um, and it, it, it sort of became like this this weird method of me doing the first and second thing hmm. that I thought of trying to combine them. like, okay, the first thing I thought of might be a little crazy. What's the second thing? Is there a way that they overlap? If so, do that thing. Um, so that's how I kind of uh, over, just not questioning myself, just not um, doubting that I maybe have my own best interest in mind for the most part. Uh, even if that may not always, you know, like I said, yield the right outcome. Hmm. Um, it, sometimes you just have to go with it. Yeah. yeah well, so, and half yeah. of half of everything is doing it uh, would be my right. other thing. Yeah, that is a good point because when you go from novice to experience, that's zero to one, and that's the biggest leap you can make, like yeah. even mathematically. Whereas once you do something, moving on to intermediate and expert, I mean, it is a challenge. But going from no experience to some experience is the biggest leap you can make. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane, uh, as the format of this show dictates? Absolutely, Mr. Filet-Hoff. As our very esteemed guest, we invite you to ask the first question. It could be any question you'd like. Should we like to discuss for about 15 minutes or some change? Then my friend Howard Cohen, aka the Hizzer here, would like to pose you a question for 15 minutes we'd like to discuss. And then keeping with the theory of the remix, I'd like to pose you a question. We discuss it for 15 minutes or so. And then we'd like for you to tell our listeners where we can find out about your good works, past, present and future. How's that sound to you, bro? Works for me. Yeah, I love it. The floor is yours to ask the first question. My question is that, so uh, Dane and I often talk about uh, the experience of being black, right? And and kind of compare each other's, uh, not blackness, but like kind of how we walk through the world with that lens. You know what I mean? Uh, And so a question that I've always wondered, and I pose this question to uh, two teachers I used to have, uh, Amir Sulami, Mm -hmm. who's a... poet now uh he's a big big poet tours a lot with dave Chappelle and all these people and my other teacher who's not a big poet uh but is a professor at a university in house uh mr bruce webb and i posted the question to them a long time ago and i and i would always when i would see them i would come back to the question and find out if they had any more insight into it you know year after year and the question is what have black people black men i we i pose it as a black male question because i can't experience the lens, you know, the world through the lens of a black woman. But I would like to include them in this question as well. But what have black people or men done to deserve 
the treatment that we get? What is the thing that we're missing? Is there some part of history that we don't see of where it's like, there's never been a ease up on the gas, right? There's never been a break. It's always just full throttle from, from what I would say is like, hate malice. Um, and so is there something that we're missing? And I don't mean like, is it our fault? I mean, like, is there something that we're not seeing that's there? Is there something that's not talked about? So what is it that we've done? Uh, and it's, no one ever really has the answer. It's almost like, uh, they, they always, some, somebody wants was like, well, you know, you use up a lot of resources because you're more of the prison population. I go, but mm. we didn't, we didn't do that. We didn't allocate the resources to that. And we didn't put ourselves in prison and we didn't make the laws harsher, you know, penalties harsher, you know, but, uh, when I was young, um, common little fact about me, I sold drugs. Um, and I had a friend of mine who was a white kid who's also sold drugs. His, he got caught at the same time as another friend of mine got caught and he got a slap on the wrist. He had more drugs on him. Same judge slap on the wrist, sent my friend to prison for five years. So I'm like, that's a common thing, right? We all know that. So we don't even have to discuss that. So what is the thing that we've done? Is it an intimidation thing? Or is, is that a real thing? I don't necessarily believe that's always truly the case. Is it a fear thing? Uh, is it a, just an ingrained thing? Someone gave me a theory and this is hilarious. Someone told me, um, we were at a museum and we looked at the migration of humans. So from out of Africa to Europe and kind of how they killed off the Neanderthal almost and bred them out. And he was like, maybe it's that, maybe it's genetic <laughs> from way back then that these, these black Africans came out into Europe and started to, to kill off mm. the other types of human and breed them out. And so somewhere in that, uh, is some genetic kind of like predisposition. Like when you see a lion, that's a really interesting, that's a really good, interesting theory. I said, that's, I said, that's funny. You say that because I can't deny it. And there's a lot of that in nature, but it doesn't make up for now. But maybe it's because of all that time it was never healed. It's a trauma. It's a genetic trauma from ancient times. It was never dealt with. I deal with trauma now from when I was Mm. eight. That's not dealt with. Right. So this is my question. It's a great, great question. It's a great question with an amazing hypothesis to back up the question as well. And it's really interesting because I think, Howard, we may have discussed this in brief on previous episodes, especially with regards to the uh, theory of like, a homo sapien versus Neanderthal. Because first of all, it's said that uh, zebra, zebras or zebras have an, they have an ingrained propensity to be quite, uh, react violently to being approached because of the inbuilt genetic trauma from being, you know, prey of lions. Is that, this is why they could, they've never been domesticated because of their, the fact that they're where they sit on the food chain. It makes them very jumpy, which is understandable. Now, the reason why I bring up uh, previous discussions we've had on the podcast is because when you look at Darwinistic or Darwin and Darwinian and evolutionary theory, it's normally represented by the picture of evolution, which begins with Homo erectus and Neanderthal ending up with Homo sapien. And normally it's a white guy at the end and he's got a spear. But uh, in, in what culture did white men have spears? <laughs> that's, that's fair. When you, when you think about like the image of Africans, even when people are discussing them in uh, disparaging or pejorative ways, they refer to Africans as like spear chuckers and having spears. So why would the first example yeah. of a Homo sapien yeah. be a white man with a spear? As well as the fact that you know, there's also the point normally yeah. discussing from the point where it's obviously it's a man, but 
in order for the species of Homo sapien to have continued, it would have to be a woman containing the genetic material to carry on the species, not a man. But yeah, it's really interesting. It was a really interesting theory. And I mean, that would explain it biologically. But then I guess the fact that there has been no pathology or no, uh, I guess, widely um, theorized ideas that have come from European science scientific in, uh, institutions, maybe something they've never experienced, they've never explored themselves. Maybe that, tra that trauma of the threat of extinction and the close link to Neanderthal Homo erectus is something that like uh, European scholars and biologists and I mean, because if you think about it, that's the, the ongoing mm. trend or idea is that the, it's a threat of things changing or um, they're not existing anymore. Everyone's afraid of the brown, you know, yeah. mixed, mixed race planet, you know, they're like, oh, well, I'm going to be erased. And it's that that's a natural fear of anyone. I'm sure it's like a genetic gentrification. You know what I mean? Like there's just a, just this way that people want to see things. And I understand, I understand the nature behind, because I'm big on science when I argue or talk about this type of stuff. I go more with science and I do go with history. Um, and, and there is this thing, in, you know, just wanting to be around your kind, you know what I mean? Like white tigers tend to hang out with white tigers, you know, it's the nature of where they are. They might hang out with some orange ones here and there, but um, they don't hate each other. It's just like, oh, you know, we, yeah. we hunt different. You know, we do a little. Well, the, the little science different. one is the is the um, most interesting part of the discussion when we talk about like racial oppression, because really the attempt to try and marry those two things is erroneous in itself. Because scientifically, there is even no way to define race. So I feel like we always have to remember that when we are dealing with race, first is that we are all of the same species of Homo sapien or human being, and really race is a social construct that actually has no scientific basis, and. So even though we talk about people wanting to be around people that resemble themselves, and there is something to be said for that in terms of speciation, in terms of the uh, phenotypical uh, differences we have, depending on what part of the world our ancestry is from. But at the same time, by the definition of species, again, using scientific and Darwinistic uh, theory, race doesn't necessarily exist. So how much of it is down to yeah. suggestion have we been taught to in the same way that like for many years if you watch tom and jerry you think that there is a almost like a zoological hierarchy where mouse is chased by cat and cat is chased and brutalized by dogs but in real life cats ain't scared of dogs and for years think about it, you never really think about it for years howard it's like for years yeah. and years there's always these films where or these uh, cartoon paradigms where a dog is the physical superior that dominates a cat. But if you see domesticated pets in a home, very rarely do you see a cat being bullied by a dog. It's almost, almost always the other way around. But because it's been suggested to us for long enough, it's become a part of our collective consciousness. In the same way, for example, another example would be people wear crucifixes as an, almost in honor of uh, Jesus' sacrifice. But crucifixion wasn't something that was unique to Jesus or Christ entries, that was the prevalent right. form of capital punishment right. at the time, which today would be the equivalent of you walking, walking around with a golden diamond encrusted gas chamber or electric chair in your chest. Yeah. Yeah. Electric yeah. chair. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, lethal infection. So. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I think the fact that you've talked down the science angle for this question is really interesting because 
it's almost a, a, a type of question, like Phileo said, you could theorise on many different planes of, 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 of intellect and intelligence to try and get to the bottom of it. And, you know, Dane, as a Jew, I'm going to weigh oh, in here because, well, you know, we've... We've we've done our own we've done our own stuff, you know. <laughs> well, the thing is, on a basis of science, like what normally tends to happen with the, uh, you know, with the dissemination of racial rhetoric or racial ideology, is that it begins with, with people trying to use pseudoscience or uh, eugenics. Yeah, yeah, and 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 my, you know, my take on on Phileo's question would be uh, slightly more reductive potentially and not as intelligent as what you guys have said, but is, uh, basically, uh, in the story of the Jewish people in the story of the black people, actually in the story of women as well, basically all of those groups are better at certain things than the white man. And that causes shit. And yeah, basically, in the case of the Jews, we all yeah. know what that was. We're, we're pretty fucking good with business, guys. Like you know, it's it, that's not a, that's not a, that's not a, a generalization to say that. That's a historical competency yeah. that's come from a civilization that's been around for a long mm. time, and obviously would have been the formation of commercialism would have taken around place mm. around you know places like Jerusalem would have been a place of high commerce. So it'd be natural that people that were in that area would develop superior skills yeah. in the same way that like. Because I, I totally agree with you, Howard, in the same way that, like, the uh, kinesthetic intelligence of people whose origins are in Africa are seen to be very high because, you know, you're in an area where there's lots of outdoors and there's a lot of other wildlife are sharing it with. So you're naturally going to become, you know, physically a physically specimen. But I, I think in the case of the, 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 the black people, uh, historically, is it's it, 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 you can. There's so many different case studies and examples you give, but I think the one that resonates for me right now is the fact that why will often young black uh, celebrities, sports people, superstars be quickly attacked by uh, a media or anyone, the fan base, whoever, just because basically it's just really intimidating that how fucking good you are. You know, you know, sport-wise, let's be honest, it's ridiculous in, in terms of the incredible plethora of black sport people in Britain and abroad. And that's probably pisses quite a lot of people off that are white and remember when it was just white people yeah. game. Uh, and, 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 you know, that does also apply to women, but that is a bit more of a complicated Well, it's interesting women. because I guess you could, you could then look at the racial uh, double standard of a white trans woman being able to compete as a swimmer, whereas Casta Semenya, who is a black woman who has a high level of naturally produced testosterone, is having to take uh, hormone blockers to compete with other women. And if the idea is that we are making it inclusive, you have someone who is obviously now uh, living as a woman, as a trans woman, but then you have someone who would be, I guess, cisgender, but their, their, their testosterone output might suggest that they are uh, intersex or just have high testosterone. Why is it, when it occurs naturally with somebody like Casta Semenya, it's a problem, but, you know, Caitlyn Jenner was on cereal boxes prior to being Caitlyn Jenner. So it, it proves a point that you're saying, Howard. I like, I like, I like Bill Burr's example where he explained, um, he has a skit when he's talking about the, uh, I think it's the 36th Berlin Olympics where Jesse Owens came through and was amazing. 
Oh, and uh, sorry, this is a quick aside here, but just, it's all on the subject. I read a thread recently where um, they're saying why we, I think it was by Michael Harriet, where he was saying, why we, how can we celebrate Jackie Robinson's achievements as breaking the color barrier in baseball, where apparently baseball was the sport he was least good at. Yeah, he was, <laughs> and he ran track so fast that he lost to some guy and the guy that he lost to turned out to be the guy that came second to Jesse Owens at the Berlin Olympics. Like Jackie Robinson was an amazing yeah. all-round athlete and that baseball was the sport he was least good at. Yeah. Hmm. Baseball was the sport that was going to let you in first. That's what that was. Yeah, that was going to let Yeah, because, well, oh yeah, because what happened was that um, he was also an NFL player and then the NFL became segregated because the black players were playing too well. Right. And then exactly. baseball became integrated and then NF the NFL had to follow. Uh, but this is what's interesting is that it's, I would even, it's a great point they said, Howard, and, and why some of that animosity comes from is because a lot of eugenic and uh, racist ideology was based on yeah, these genetics that white people would be genetically predisposed to be the physical superiors of black people, which would justify, you know, colonization and, you know, chattel enslavement. Mm. But then, and the reason I said the Bill Burr point is like he said, there's a point where it's like, what used to happen is that slaves were forcibly bred together to produce bigger and stronger slaves to perform tasks and have super yeah, slaves. Super slaves. Um, but then obviously that practice would have become a lot more obsolete with the, indu- the introduction of uh, industrialization as well as abolition. Like I said, what happened was is that while Europe was talking about a master race, they fucked up and created one. Because, you know, when you mm-hmm. look at people that would have been subject to the torture of chattel, they wouldn't have been able to be enjoy the privileges of the other human social constructs other than race, like romance and courtship. It would have just been, what's your best genetic pairing? And the fact that we were dehumanized to that point means you probably produced some of the best physical specimens, whereby that's why in the States you have, it's very normalized in a place of what's supposed to be highly industrial in the birthplace of modern capitalism to have seven foot two black men and having black men who naturally have evolved to Walk grow around. Bigger yeah. shoulders because they can hold, they can even be plowing, but now it's wearing NFL, but, um, yeah, wearing, um, yeah. What's the, domi- it's, um, yeah. domestication. A lot of people don't like to say it in that way, uh, but it's domestication. It's genetically modified. The original GMO carrots, us, Concord grapes. It's, it's, it's hard for people to hear, but it's, it's, it's a very point. It is. It's hard to, it's, it is hard because. It's what are you, it's a part of your existence is what are you in contrast or the existence of like Latin and I'll, I'll say more Caribbean and black American uh, people who might've been shadow slaves or enslaved people. Um, your existence is more or less, our existence is more or less in contrast to yeah. what whiteness is. Um, without whiteness, what then do you have? Because everything we've done has been in contrast to or in opposition to uh, white culture, whatever, you know, Western white culture is. And so I think that is part of the, the whole, the weirdness of it, that, the that I, I guess people get, like you said, eugenics, they get like weirded out. It's like, well, like you said, we created this, um, um, not monster, but I had a, my next special or special next one I was in title was going to be, um, um, Black man or the modern Prometheus, which I've taken from Frankenstein. Uh, is it Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus? Um, 
is what I was going to title it because it, it's, it's me just talking about these experiences and like, I have a history, we have a history, we have an even deeper culture and history, but that whole part of it being actually literally physically altered, um, is, is the interesting part. And then where does that malice then come from? Why are you, are you upset because you realize if you would have just done this to yourself where you'd be, or are you upset that you did it and now you somehow aren't reaping the benefits of it uh, to a degree? And that goes back to the sports yeah, well, thing. Okay. I mean, back to that. I, yeah. I think it's the best sports thing. And I, and I think a large part of it is there in with, with a number of different systems that human human beings have been thriving within or I guess existing within over the last, yeah. uh, let's say century, last century. I feel like the more, the reason why we go back to the science is that the more that science reveals more and more truth about our reality, whether it's, you know, climatological issues and how that's changing or the long-term damaging or um, carcinogenic effects of our diets and our exposure to uh, radiation and electromagnetic waves and even our analysis of our bodies. I think it means that the basis for the society's institutions and their, and their uh, uh, validity is decreasing all the time. So for example, when you've said that people are free-fists of a human being and then scientific research shows you uh, decades later that uh, African women contain the mitochondrial DNA of, which contains the genetic sequence of all human beings. If you've, you know, built an entire reality on the basis of the femininity of, uh, of or Eurocentric femininity and you've built it on the idea that, you know, re even religious belief or even, you know, creation myth in Greece or like mythology of Norse, of Norse, origin, all of these things kind of, this, this scientific truth flies in the face of all of that. So I think a large part of it is not so much like, it, it, it looks like it's an active and malicious persecution and suppression of people, but it's like you both said, or how it said, it's, I think it's a mirror, it's like it's a mirror effect. It's people acting in a way because they are that afraid that that same fate will be visited upon them due to either genetic obsolescence or yeah. retribution uh, uh, in accordance to theological scripture and stuff as well. Because if you think about like the path of black people and you compose it to most stories of most of the skeletal stories in human literature in terms of triumph over adversity and, you know, redemption of the, or triumph of the human spirit or redemption of people, there will always be an example of that throughout whether it's civil rights or through the, the abolition of slavery or through colonization whereby it's the most human story you've ever heard which means if you if we exist as the protagonist within that narrative yeah. who are the antagonists and for a lot of people i think that's a complex they're not prepared to entertain in the same way that it's like you know when you try to have someone give justification why they eat meat in terms of intensive farming the idea that human beings <clears> we value some animals and we almost sort of point recognize spirituality of animals and we're like of course if my god if my dog dies i love it it goes to heaven but then by that token, if we are acknowledging that at least at the very least mammals or intelligent creatures have souls, it means that our practices have been this wholesale culling and erasure of souls. And I think that's a truth that a lot of human beings aren't yeah. prepared to deal with. And so it's easy to create a false reality and reimagine yourself in control of that trauma rather than acknowledge your fear of trauma being visited upon you. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's a great, it's an amazing question, you yeah. Applause. It's, I think we, and I think we've just, and I think it's one that we've just gotten started because it's a very, it's a very interesting complex. No one really looks at the white supremacist complex and, and, you know, we haven't even looked at it economically. 
there's, there's economic and you know, <laughs> so many facets of it. And um, Many more layers. It could yeah. easily have been a golden question that meant that we just did the full hour on it, but I'm... Uh, we've, got live, we've got a live podcast coming up for that anyway, so... Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm going to shift with my question, but in some ways it will potentially relate because I spent a bit of time and I recommend listeners you go and check out Phileo's work. Very very funny man and um i thought about one question watching some of it and it relates to dane and probably anyone who likes comedy uh which is why is laughing at pain so good for you uh because (laughs) because it's a common thread of existence for so many people in in the world of comedy uh what how do you, i mean i don't know how do you how do you deal with 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 that weird complex we have around laughing at our pain flow it's um it, it is um what's the german word schadenfreude or schadenfreude i should know this <laughs> i should know this but um no it's it's a um it's i think it's the the cheapest they're not cheapest it's if not cheapest it's the only free form of therapy and it's the most natural, original form of therapy without knowing that it's therapy. I think whatever chemical, I'm sure I should, I'm sure I know it, but whatever chemical come get, you give off when laughing, endorphins, whatever, you know, whatever you give off when laughing, it, they're addictive, right? But they're also healing. Um, and I think it's, I think it's just that. I think for the comedian themselves, not all, but I will say, and I'll, I'll, I'll die on this hill. The funniest tend to have uh, trauma, tend to have PTSD, tend to have some little problem in the back. You know? A lot of people know you can be funny without that. You actually, mm. you can't. Um, it's, it's, it's a weird thing, but if you, if you do it on your own, if you sit down on your own and you write down your favorite comedy movies, lists of comedians, whatever, and I've had people do it tons of times over the years, most of that list, if not the entire list, these people have traumatic stories, traumatic lives. Uh, it, it may not be physical or whatever, but you know, if something happened um, that was enough to switch them over to this. I have to laugh at this because if I don't laugh at it, I'm going to snap. And I think it's you, you being able to provide that for people um, is a thing that's a natural therapist thing. I think like my best time in therapy, because I've got the therapy, um, my best time is with therapists who uh, also 
um, are funny. They're funny. Like their feedback and some of the stuff, they're funny. They, they, they don't, they're not making jokes the whole time, but they might say something that's actually kind of funny. And it's easier for me to talk. It's easier for me to be open with those type of people. And I think a lot of people in the audience, you know, you, if you just take it, for instance, you got a lot of working class people, they go through life, man. Working class people go through life. And so you have these poor people, poorish or whatever you want to say, working class, we say, um, I guess we say working class as well. Uh, they, they, they have a lot of things they have to hold in, you know, that they don't get to talk about, whether that's Jewish people, Irish people, black people, whatever you want to say, there's a lot that we have experienced and will continue to experience that we don't get to let out. And so I think that laughing at that is the easiest way to express it. It's also a while we collectively all laugh at this thing. And even if I haven't experienced it, I've experienced something like, I noticed that when I make jokes, this is not me being like, you know, trying to say I'm the greatest or nothing. I notice when I make certain jokes, I notice the people who don't laugh. And then I sometimes will talk to them after, where were you from? And talk to them. And they're usually some um, middle-class or upper-class person or come from that background. And they just didn't get it. And maybe they were offended on someone else's behalf or something like that. But I go, I, I, I knew that was the case because most of the room laughed. You didn't laugh because you just didn't, you, you didn't, you don't have any of these similar experiences. And I'm saying, like, you know, I, I really couldn't even think of a Jerry Seinfeld. Um, he got bullied when he was a kid, you know, he's a Jewish kid from New York. He definitely got bullied. He's, he was hilarious. Like, he's hilarious. He's hilarious coming up. So um, I've seen people see him live and not laugh. And I've talked to them after the show. Like, where, where are you from? And they go, oh, I'm from such and such, like, Upper West Side. And, I go, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I see why you didn't laugh at you. It's like he has the easiest form, and I use him because he's the easiest form of relatable comedy. He'll talk about buttons on a shirt and then his complaints about it and about the like having to replace buttons on the shirt. And then you have someone who never had to think mm. to replace a button on a shirt and they just don't click into that collective mindset there. Like, I'm not saying you have to, like I said, get beat up all the time, rob or anything. You could have had something easy. Like what, what, what this taps into, I think, is is something that that in the in the face of a kind of mental health epidemic, yeah. you know, like basically yeah. the realization that everyone in the world has some kind of mental health issue. Well, yeah, Howard, I was about to say it's interesting because by that token, it's not epidemic; it's endemic. It's always been there. So yeah, it's like it's yeah, like yeah, we're yeah. having yeah. an outbreak <laughs> now. People having to deal with um, mental health versus. It's more just yeah, a realization, yeah. right, Dane? That we're just we're just coming to terms yeah. with the fact that people have always had, almost everyone has always had a mental health problem. Uh, and sorry to put it again, Howard. This might and it, this yeah. might be a question we have in our episode, but like you know, we're like now people are realizing it. Is it that are we are we re-realizing it? Because I theorize again mm. that like it might have been through the prevalence of you know uh, capitalism or our focus on more secular pursuits of status rather than you know where you were spiritually that we may have moved away from taking the time to address our mental health for other pursuits. And with like the, in, with the epidemic of Corona, this has allowed us to kind of center ourselves mm. again and really ponder our mental health. It's a very, it's a very interesting point. And, and you, you know, I almost, I always think the answer is yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> I think we, we probably will have taken more time to think about it because it definitely affected people that period of, of, of lockdown and stuff but, but I th- I was just going to say that that the thing that I definitely realize being a Jew 
and I married a non-Jew, Phileo. And um, my coping mechanism... You chose an unchosen. (laughs) I chose an unchosen. Uh, She's pretty fucking chosen, to be fair. Um, As Dane knows. Uh, But uh, but is that that in times of crisis or in times of threat, you know, or or pain, um, my instinct is to find the humour. So, like... Nothing serious. It sounds serious when I say I took my kid to A and E the other week, but it wasn't. It was just a. We, he banged his head. We wanted to make sure he was okay. So we were sitting in A and E, and I think that's the funniest I've been for weeks. Uh, when we were sitting in A and E, because you know what, I was faced with this fucking situation on a Friday night where I'm like, this is bullshit. I could make this really bad for my wife <laughs> if I wanted to, but my instincts almost genetically from my family, thinking of all the times I've been in hospitals with my family and we're making each other laugh. That is the only way I can think of coping with it. It's what partly made me think about asking this question. Coping mechanisms. That's what you, that's what laughter is fucking amazing. I mean, I know. And I guess you have to think about as well is that it's, it's all a part of a larger uh, emotional spectrum as well, because sometimes you can laugh through rage and stuff, but I just feel like, you know, it's, it's a universal language and human beings and our emotions are very reflective as well as being, uh, I guess, introspective, they're reflective. So almost at times you laugh because you're trying to alleviate other human beings having the same emotional experience of you, of the same sorrow. Like you might smile at your mm-hmm. kid, you might, like you might be worried about bills or something like that, but when your kid comes in the room, you smile because you're aware that they are going to be able to pick up on your expressions. And even though it might, they might be aware that your smile belies like more negative feelings. They're aware that the fact that you're trying to smile is indicative that you are still trying to create a uh, environment of calm for the other person. So that's another reason I think we laugh as well is that if we can't necessarily generate the positivity within ourselves by at least feigning it to other human beings, like, you know, when you yawn and it's infectious, Laughter is infectious as well. So even if you can't find a happiness within yourself, projecting that to other people and having them laugh back, it's like, well, at least I get to observe what joy looks like and be within its presence if I'm not able to. And that's, that's, and that's comedy, right? It's, 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 yeah, because my, my, my funniest time I ever was, I was in Australia. I took a break from New York, went to Australia. Probably the most depressed I've been, you know, like years. And that's when I was at my funniest. I couldn't laugh at anything, but I was yeah. chilling and show standing ovations too. I was like, well, at least yeah. I know what it looks like. I remember that. I remember that small thing. And I wanted to smile with people. Like you said, the kid comes over and smile. Like, oh, hi, yeah. hi, everyone. I'm okay. Yeah. And, and people are aware of that because I know we all understand that, like, when we see the aesthetic of negativity or sorrow, we're adverse to kind of staying away from it. So, it's a coping mechanism where we're like, if I laugh, it means I'm more affable to people. And normally depression and isolation, those are bedfellows. And so through, you know, being able to uh, have company, like misery loves company, but I'll have more company if I don't let people know that I'm miserable. It's kind of like the veneer you have to give. Yeah. And again, going back to the question you asked as well, this is the reason why, you know, uh, chattel slaves were encouraged to clap and laugh and play music. And probably why they, well, the reason why they probably do it so well is that if your idea is that make a good song or you fucking die, then you're probably going to become a very good musician because in the same way that like, if your need to find the funny side of it is when you are literally awaiting death in a death camp in Poland, your comedic bones, even though the rest of your muscles are atrophying, your comedic and funny bones will become very strong over time. 
So, you know, you think about like Jew Jewish culture as well. A lot of the, the, the inception of it oh, happened yeah. at... We had yeah. a lot of long walks. We had a lot of long walks, you know. We needed to make our muse ourselves. Or even like yeah. if you are faced with your own mortality, like when human beings think about sorrow and, you know, our more negative emotions, existential dread is probably the umbrella they all come under. Hmm. Oh, the funniest thing I ever go to, funny, funnier than any comedy night, is generally going to the, the thing after a funeral, right? A wake or... Once you're faced oh, with yeah. absolute, oh, yeah. absolute, it's like you don't, there's no point in having anticipatory fear or fear of the known. The absolute is that person is dead. So whatever you say won't affect it. And I think like when you think back to like an atrocity like the Holocaust, if you are having the existential truth, I'm almost definitely going to die. Why would you be emotionally repressed? And so it's interesting when Phileo says that like someone who's from a more privileged socioeconomic group can't see the humor when you might trivialize certain ills or um, certain... Uh, certain cultural indicators that come with being working class or coming from a deprived class. And they can't see the humor in that because if you've not had to deal with that, you have never had to learn the coping skills to kind of, um, in order to trivialize that, in order for you to cope with it a lot more and in order to rationalize it. Because as you said, like you can go to a therapist and you can get antidepressants. Now, people that don't have always have access to that on one hand might choose to self-medicate. And that's why you have the vices of, you know, your alcohol and, uh, you know, narcotics. But if you're not able to have the access to that resource where you can regulate it or have the privacy of your own home, you might overdo that. So, you know, I think laughter, for me, how it is, is, is from the affirmation, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. And I think most people are aware of that. And so yeah. we use it uh, as effectively as possible and uh, try to generate that in other people. And, uh, and, and here we are. Look at all of our lives. So influenced yeah. by a very simple thing that is often free. Uh, <laughs> which is uh you kind of sometimes forget that it's free isn't it really when someone makes if you... and it's odd too it, it, it makes you think about the attack quote-unquote attack on comedy now it's it's i think a lot of people maybe haven't been they haven't been able to share that uh in their upbringing that, that idea to laugh at some of this stuff like maybe Maybe they just didn't have that introduced to them. So it kind of becomes this weird thing of it's, it's a battle because it, it, maybe not even that. It's a battle between laughing at it or yeah. getting sympathy for it. And like likes and, and, sh mm -hmm. and shares and comments of like, oh, you okay? We praise you and just praise for general. I think that's the problem is that it's the fallacy of the sympathy uh, that people get from um, artificial intelligence through social media is that in a where. Yeah. Yeah. Comedy used to do that for you, where, where we didn't have the, the and why it was also regarded as the best medicine. And so while we were able to have to learn to almost organically synthesize this medicine through having conversations and finding the laughter within discourse, I think there's a generation now where through the, the reduction in social interaction through social media, because they interact artificially, if they want to find a echo chamber of complete praise, they can find that. But praise, even praise to an extent, can only be that beneficial if you're also observing the growth over adversity by dealing with some level of persecution or people just even maybe questioning the validity of your existence or your reality or your your perception so they've not they've not had that and what they also get instead i think is that they get a more reduced and uh capitalist ready version of uh, pop psychology where because it's capitalism, it removes the accountability from it. Because I think what's the normal part of the normal pathology of normal 
psychiatric discourse is that you have to maybe talk about what your contribution might be to a particular trauma in order for you to acknowledge that and develop certain coping skills. Yeah. Whereas you're told on the internet, you've done no wrong. Everyone else is toxic. You just love yourself. And like, you know, yeah. Yeah. I love myself, but I know I can be a fucking handful to a lot of people a lot of the time. It's all a matter of perception. And there is, and it's like, you know, I'm more of the squad of, you know, when Bob Marley says that everybody's going to hurt you. It's just, you have to work out who's like, who's, who, uh, who loves you enough to make it worth it. But I think nowadays people are told, if you don't want that, you can have this. Like the piece of most human beings yeah. is now itself a commodity that various capitalist institutions can market to. So they can be like, you don't have to indulge that. We'll just create a whole new identity for you and we can commodify that and you can buy these indicators or follow this person and support this person and you can be this person. Oh, oh, you're not this person. And so it, the more and more that people have these wants and desires, the more an identity can be created to them and then subsequently market to them afterwards. And I think that's mm -hmm. what is replacing laughter. That can be the real issue. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. It's, um, yeah, well, it's a, good, it's a good question. I didn't do too badly there. Um, no, that was good. Yeah. Uh, well, we had two belters, Dane. What, what have you got up your sleeve to complete uh, this um, trilogy? Uh, I don't see, maybe I'm going to lighten it, but I... I always try to lighten things, but I guess I wanted to be enlightening. So obviously, uh, Phileo is uh, from Atlanta, uh, Georgia, which is a southern state. And I think there's a number of connotations of that, which we have already discussed um, on the show. But I'm just talking, as a Black Briton, I think a large amount of my perception of... I mean, I've had the been able to go to America and be a resident of the state, so I've spent a lot of time there. But I think for a lot of my peers, their perception of America is very much rooted in, well, America's chief export, which is Hollywood and it's media. And so their perception of America is based on that. Like even I'd say a lot of the time, the way I've been able to work out various states in America and how the state, all of the 50 states is based on, you know, the location of NBA and NFL teams and rappers, as opposed to any kind of <laughs> geographical, exactly. geographical study. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's more been more of a yeah. rap map than me, yeah. anything else. And yeah, exactly. That's how I explained it. You say a rapper, they go, yeah, exactly. So he's almost, it's been particularly to members of, yeah. you know, the diaspora, that's how you're almost able to plot America. And so, yeah. and I say this because I think um, most, up until the turn of the century, most black Britons or black Europeans were under the mistaken impression that the larger contingent of black Americans resided in Northern states, which would have been historically union or free states, particularly around mm -hmm. the coastal areas of the West coast and the East coast based on the beef and maybe with a contingent within yeah. the Midwest because of uh, Chicago, for example. But I think most people would be surprised to know and probably know a lot more now that there's more black people in the South and there's probably much more of a wider culture. And, you know, people probably know that now because of people like Beyonce yeah. being from Texas. But like, even the fact that the Jacksons are from Indiana, that's not a, necessarily an on the map yeah. place. And I think the only, one of the only other ice I can think of in the same area is, uh, Freddie Gibbs, but hmm. he's Indiana, yeah, right? He's, well, he's yeah, Michigan but, um, some shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, I just wanted to ask you, Phileo, um, what should we know about growth? Because, but I guess the main thing for me is whenever I meet a black person from America who's grown up in what would be historically a Confederate state, like just images of Mississippi burning and sundown towns and lynching and this and segregation and Jim Crow flood my head. But it's very clear, obviously, Atlanta is considered the Mecca of African-Americans. 
So I guess the question really is, is that what would you want the world to know about Southern culture from your perspective as an African-American that they don't know? Because I don't think a lot of people, the idea is that it's mainly like civil rights and fried chicken and cornbread and yeah. 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 That's like, the, that's like a tiny, that's a good question too. This is a tiny, tiny bit of what it is. It is, we are a, um, a big, we're the food. We are the food of the nation and anybody will fight, we can fight about it. But there's, there's a saying, Ooh, I love that good mm. down home Southern cookie or that good, you know, no one says that about, I can't wait to get that good <laughs> yeah, up no, North. No, never heard, no, never heard good West Coast. Heard West Coast you never heard that. And so <laughs> yeah. we, that's why, that's why we're known. We are known for that, which, which is, which is a bad thing honor, but that's because of mostly because of chattel slavery and having to develop all these uh, dishes, you know, over this time. But the thing about the South is, it's very interesting. You would think from media, like you said, that it's clan members versus mm-hmm. black people 24 seven. And it's really just not like I would, I could see. So like I, I had a, it was a friend of mine from New York who's a comic. I'm not going to say her name because I don't know if she even remembers this conversation, mm-hmm. but it's on Facebook too. <laughs> but, uh, she got mad because I posted a guy who, uh, I can't remember his name, this black guy. He talks oh, the to guy, Yeah, members. I think I know you're talking about. Yeah, he did a whole book. Yeah. 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 He gets their ropes from the, yeah, he gets their ropes. He's like mm. talking them out of the point. And I go, that's a very Southern thing. You have to go to the store with these people. You have to go to church sometimes with you. You have to go to well, be on the same public transit in the Bay or in, uh, not the Bay, in wherever West uh, Orange County or in, you know, wherever neo-Nazis are yeah. up or East Coast. Yeah, the ham- the you don't hang out. You don't like, see you know, them. Outside of the, yeah. Yeah, what, you guys, it's, yeah. it's super segregated. It's as segregated as the South used to be. It really ain't. You, if I go to a baseball game or a American football game or popular restaurant or something, or chain, don't talk about a tenant. I'm going to, there's going to be black and white people there. Some of them are going to be racist. Some of the white people are going to be active claimants. I remember I was driving just recently uh, with my, my family, my kid, her mom was driving through um, uh, last year, May, we're, we're in Atlanta and we're driving and it was with my mom and I pointed out uh, to you who you met, I pointed out, I was like, hey, look, look at that flag right there on this house. I'm looking at all these nice houses. And my mom was like, yeah, there's black people up there and the black person up there. And I said, oh, there's a clan flag. And my mom said, oh, yeah, there it is. And she was like, I'm sorry, what? I was like, oh, that's, that's uh, that flag. That particular flag is a particular branch of the flag. And she was like, ah. but they live next door to a black person. I said, yeah, it's probably right. not by choice. <laughs> but I go, yeah, but that's, but the fact that they weren't fighting like cats and dogs to do a callback from earlier is a part of this thing where we are almost in the yeah. South used to it. Like when you see the tweets and the outrage and stuff, it's usually not from Southern white people. We're not like, we're the ones being like, oh, somebody was racist today. Congratulations <laughs> for you. This is your first, day, first time. Good job. It's usually like a New York person or like a West Coast person. Like, I can't believe somebody called him the N-word in the store. And I remember space. hearing, it's like, really? <laughs> hearing, hearing Tupac like, having a similar experience when he first went to uh, prison in, on the West Coast. And, he, and one of the, uh, the CEOs yeah. referred to use the N-word and he was like, yeah, guys, hear what he said? And they were like, what the fuck is, is your first day here? What the fuck is wrong with yeah. you? Yeah. you know, it's, it's a really interesting point, especially because think I think, again, the the remnant of the 
there's this there's this supposition that when the opportunity presented itself, that the large contingent of African Americans left the South for safety by the Underground Railroad and began yeah. to populate these metropolitan cities in the North. Yeah. Um, and that the remainder of people in the South are like hapless people who may have only just realized that they were formerly slaves. But I want to hasten to remind people that within the South, probably would have been where you would have had a large contingent of affluent and middle-class blacks. Because I heard a story where mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a lot of people explain when, when we discuss uh, black progressive ideology in the States, it's almost like uh, there's a, almost like a bipartisan thing where Martin Luther King was more, I guess, the left and... And well, actually, no, he was more, it's supposed to be like more liberal and Malcolm X was a bit more conservative. He was, he was more However, liberal and yeah. And that would be maybe yeah. ideologically, but theologically, like Christians would be more right wing and Islam is a lot more socialist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And by that same token, mm -hmm. a lot of people that accepted Islam uh, would have been black people of a working class extraction, whereas Christianity would be middle class because... For sure. The reason I tell this story because Martin Luther yeah. King apparently tried to hold a talk in Chicago, which obviously at the time would have had a large contingent of, yeah, yeah, who the Islam migrant blacks South. from the South who yeah. were working class and they were still yeah. living in ghetto cities or in, on the South side, despite moving to freedom. And they basically told Martin Luther King to go fuck himself. Yeah, because, because, because his, yeah. his message of like non, the, yeah, the non-violence and the whole turn the other cheek and very rooted in very middle class kind of liberalist ideology, they were like, get the fuck out of here. And um, and, I, and I think it's interesting. I don't think a lot of people are aware that there is like a real affluent contingent of black middle class. Yeah, in the huge. south as well. I was going to say. I was going to say it's very huge because because Tulsa, we have Oklahoma's like, next is the next state the north who... of Texas, and that's where Tulsa was, where we yeah. had the Black yeah. Wall Street first up, and the mass. The, yeah, yeah. The, the great, the great Black Wall Street. We have, but we have a lot of we have a word mm -hmm. high sedity or highfalutin is what we call mm -hmm. uh, more affluent. Like, oh, yeah. you act, you act, and that's a very southern thing because we're like you're, you're putting on ears. But it, it really wasn't. There's was a lot of a lot of business, a lot of stuff going on down there, and even in the southern states, culturally, each state is a 180 from the next state. You would think you go, okay, Alabama's the same as Georgia. Why mm. not? Not even close. Not Florida is very different. Texas, it, I mean, if you want to count them, there's a whole thing. Yeah. Well, it's not counting, but <laughs> different. Louisiana is probably the only, no one even has anything close to Louisiana yeah. in the rest of the mm -hmm. states. They're so different than everybody. So there's a lot of differences that when you go, we don't even think the same. We don't believe the same. They might all be some red states or whatever, but they don't really agree on a lot of the same topics and stuff like that you think well they want all the guns and all the, it's that's that's more the middle mm. middle America isn't like we have guns in the south just because you have space and also and hun hunted and you know, you know agriculture is like, a natural part of the southern life yeah yeah. So. yeah yeah for sure so i think i think the thing i would like people to take away from it is you're not when you go to america um especially if you're from here or from anywhere you know outside of you know, the states um most people go to LA or the West or Vegas or they go to Miami or they go to New York, something like that, right? Maybe Chicago, maybe. If you visit the South, you don't, you don't have to worry about getting lynched. <laughs> you don't have to worry about um, getting attacked by a bunch of racist white people or, or a bunch of black people being crazy, wild and stuff like that. It's where I would venture to say, if you even look at statistics, we're the calmest, we're the most welcoming pleasant. 
Southern hospitality is the term. It's not Northern hospitality. It's not West Coast hospitality. It's Southern hospitality. Very inviting, very loving. Um, our, even our way of being condescending is nice. Our way of being condescending is not passive aggressiveness or it's not like aggressive aggressive. We might be making fun of you, but laughing with you. Like that's various Southern thing. It's like, um, oh, we say bless your heart. Like, oh, like you like, oh, I don't know how to do this. Oh, bless your heart. Which is basically, you're, 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 that's okay. We're going to help you out. Don't, God don't we'll still you. help you. We won't be like, oh, you dumb. Move. Yeah. Oh, God touched you, Diddy. Okay. Well, we're going to help you. We'll figure this out for you. So we're, we're, we're probably the most open, the most um, open to people because we also don't get a lot of people. You know, a lot of people, we, we do kind of some people go to Atlanta, but I always tell black, especially black British people, like, go to Atlanta, see what happens. Watch the open arm welcome that you get. Um, it's like nothing you would have seen before. Like New York is used to everybody. LA is used to everybody. Because I think cause that's the thing. I, yeah. I, I think yeah, Louisiana, New Orleans is not used uh, to everybody. Black Europeans in particular. That we have this whole thing. It's, it's yeah, It's almost been in the same way that I think Americans has almost suggested to them like traveling outside the US. They're discouraged from doing so because they're told they won't get a warm welcome and stuff. Like and you get like propaganda films like Hostel, where it's like if you go to Eastern Europe, someone's going to eat your eye or take you out. And I think a lot of uh, because of yeah. the image that's been sent to us, particularly about yeah. Southern states, is that we need that almost that green book kind of guide to navigate Southern states and modern Southern even even nowadays. Which is interesting to hear you talk about it in such detail yeah. now. And I think one one thing that I often think gets forgotten um, when people conjure up these kind of racial war zone like images of the south is it's fucking hot down there right like As, has anyone got the energy I for that i was gonna say that next <laughs> i literally was gonna say that next there's there's a documentary that i tell people to watch i go look we're not violent it's not a bunch of crazy stuff going there have you, the chances of you getting into something it's very slim especially if you're visiting you have to go to those areas but you have to go into Compton being disrespectful in order for something to happen to you. You have to go into these redneck areas. You're not going to get you at, you know, Best Buy or, or Aldi or whatever. So there's a documentary of those called New Orleans Exposed, right? It's on YouTube. It's old documentary. It's got a lot of rappers in it. Somebody, the, the interviewer asked the guys sitting outside, he goes, man, you know, what would you, what would you say, like, all the violence out here in New Orleans is about? And the boy guy just goes, it's hot. And he go, well, go, it's hot. There's too many people. It's too hot. And everyone's on each other. And that breeds aggravation. And it's very true, which is why in the South, we're very sit on the porch, mm. stay in your own yard, drink, hang out, go in the house, go hang out with your friend. Don't get into it. New York is where it's a pressure cooker because you're on top yeah. of each other. If that's where that's where it's like, like I could hang with some some white boys in the South and we'd be like, okay, he. He's going to be goofy at some point, so I'm going to have to leave. But other than that, it's, it is what it is. But in New York, it's like, it's very, I, I, I reckon this is very weird. Dominicans fighting Puerto Ricans and live next door. And this person, I'm like, y'all have yeah. to, you know you live in the same building, right? You have to get along. I don't understand how you haven't figured out how to get along as well yet, you know, outside of the Caribbean mm-hmm. Day parade, which is amazing. But, um, yeah, to take away, from, just to take away from the South, it is very hot. Bring a change of <laughs> shirt uh, or don't care about sweat. Um, uh, do not bring boots. There's no reason you'll never need them. <laughs> um, enjoy the food, enjoy the people. But most of all, if you leave your preconceived notions, your body, we're big on body language down there. 
your body language. Cause we don't like, we don't have poker faces in the South. You see somebody looks in the body, we'll give it, tell you exactly what we feel. But if you leave your preconceived notions and you just relax, you'll make more friends than you've ever made. That's no, amazing to um, hear. And, and, and also uh, try hot chicken uh, would be oh, uh, yeah. a thing because oh, yeah. hot chicken, I'm, I'm so fascinated by hot chicken, given it's, it, oh, yeah. it's, the, it's a name for a food that is, I mean, it's a strange na- way of naming a food. I mean, we name the food. It is what it is. <laughs> I, we name it. I can, I can offer you lots of other examples it. of hot chicken, as in that it's the chicken that's hot. I'm aware that it's the hot as in spicy. I, I know that. It's a, yeah. I was just reading about it the other day for something. Clay, do you have like your top five cities other than Atlanta that you love in the South? Uh, I'll say St. Louis. Well, St. Louis is more west, so I'll say New Orleans, Houston. Um, Savannah is good. Savannah is a lot of fun. Um, I'm skipping over yes. a couple states because I'm still bougie. I'm still bougie. I'm from Atlanta. Atlanta, we are the London of the South. We are the New York right. of the South. We're like, oh, that's cute that you're from there. Uh, do you guys wear shoes? Yeah. Do you have shoes, girl? Uh, Miami is cool, but Miami's not really a Southern city, man. But Miami is cool. I, I do like Miami. As Fileo um, and I have this, as Fileo and I have discussed, uh, Miami is an honorary Caribbean island. It really is. It really is. It really is. But we're going to need a whole other hour to talk Tampa's about Florida. Good. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> Tampa's a little gem that you wouldn't even know. You'd be like, wow. Dane, Dane, what a wicked episode this has been today. I think we've covered so much ground in, in one episode, which often happens. But today it feels like we've been all over the place, right? Absolutely, which was no doubt. Uh, Faleo, thank you very yeah. much. And uh, also, just let uh, listeners know if you weren't aware, uh, Faleo has uh, been my uh, tour support for my last tour towards the end of last year. Which I was very grateful for. Set it off so well. So much fun. Um, but yeah, Faleo, obviously, you're the homie. Please just let the listeners know where they can find out more about your good works, what you've got coming up. Just go to my Amazon things. Could, yeah, go there. Go to Amazon, type my name in. You'll see two little things. Watch those. I have, my podcast is on YouTube. If you just type uninhibited with Philia, that comes up. It's on, it's on YouTube, but it's also on Spotify and everywhere else. If you see the man's name at a comedy club and you're thinking of going, go. Would, yeah, would, yeah. If you see me pop up, if if you see me pop up, I would love to do it. Um, but other than that, uh, Dane and I got some stuff in the works that'll pop up soon. Exactly, we're working on teaching more people about the South, and we're just definitely trying to bridge the gap between those two cultures. And uh, yeah, hopefully by the end we'll be doing maybe put together. Who knows? One day we'll have like a comedy festival in the South, and make the whole thing come together and like a transatlantic. Diaspora Union. I'm. I tell you right now, I'm hosting. I refuse to go after some. The thing with us, especially in South, if 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 someone who's not from there comes, and as long as they're not from New York, they're gonna get lost. Like New York has to try harder because yeah, they never get. It's yeah. a whole beef. They never gave us an answer. <laughs> but Dane coming out to the South with his accent, no, nah, I'm good. I'm hosting. You can you can headline if you want, sir. I'm not going after that. Clear, <laughs> gonna host it. So we're looking forward to it, guys. So please, yeah, look. Keep looking. Hopefully, Fale, like I said, is the beginning of a long-standing friendship, like yeah, myself and Ahiza. And thank you very much for coming on the pod. Yeah, bro. wonderful to meet you. Good seeing you both. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Phileo Huff. You can follow Phileo on Twitter and Instagram at Phileo Huff. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. 
follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Insanity Group. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.